as you flick the pages, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for all that has been said and done and sung about in this service. And we just pray that over the next uh, few minutes that we open your word, that you would speak with us and that you would uh, reveal things to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that it would be very clear um, and your words would be very powerful in each and every one of our hearts. I'm mindful of Phil this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that that teaching gift that you have given to this man, that it would just be expressed in such a glorious way this morning in that church. And it would be such a blessing to the church. We ask and pray. Amen. Let me just say a, a real big thank you to Julie and those who serve in the worship team. Uh, they, they serve us so well week in, week out. Great worship, great encouragement. Um, and we were reminded yesterday at a team meeting that actually for those who fancy being involved in the worship team, it isn't just about turning up on Sunday there's a lot of other work involved. So I want to say thank you to Julie and the team and those who serve, the singers, the PA guys, the media guys. I wonder if we could just show our appreciation with just a, a round of applause for them. Terrific. So to Joshua in chapter 5, we're continuing with our series, Raise the Praise. And uh, it seems like every time we, we do that, that siren goes. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? It's weird. It's weird. Okay, so we're going to continue with our series of Raise the Praise, and uh, I'm going to be ministering this morning in both services, and then I'm going to be finishing off the series next week. And today I want to talk about the victory and praise, and how there's a correlation between victory and praise. So Joshua in chapter 5 and verse 13 reads, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. With a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. I just want to pause there for a moment. We are going to continue to read in a moment, but I need to make a reference around this, because I actually believe the prerequisite to praise and victory is consecration and surrender. For those who are taking notes, you need to just frantically write them down, because we haven't got time to unpack some of these things. My subject matter is found in Joshua 6, but I was felt compelled again to just go a few verses before Joshua 6 because it is the prerequisite to praise and victory. If you want victory in your life, then we need to be people of consecration and surrender. There's no other way. If we want financial breakthroughs, if we want miracles, if we want healings, if we want God to pour out his blessing and his anointing upon our life and upon the church and upon the town and upon the nation and the nations of the world, we better get ready for consecration and surrender. Noted, note what Joshua did. He bowed to the ground. He knew that he was in the presence of God. 
Secondly, he listened. How often do we just bumble on with God? Just rabbiting on, rabbiting on, rabbiting on. Learn to listen. Stop and listen. What is God saying to you? And thirdly, I'm not about to do it here, not because I've got smelly feet, um, but he kicked off his shoes, which was in the day, it was a sign of respect and reverence to somebody of importance. There was a consecration and there was a surrender to Joshua's life. And then the message that God delivered him, uh, delivered to him was, the place where you are standing is what? Holy. The place where you are standing is holy. And then it goes on to say, now Jericho, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. I want to say this morning that I absolutely love watching films where there are battles and victory. I don't know about you. I just really, really love to see those kinds of battles. For those who know me well, one of my all-time favorites is Braveheart. I absolutely love Braveheart. I love the fact that even on as he's being tortured and he's, in, he's obviously dying, William Wallace rises and shouts the word freedom. I absolutely love it. I used to love, um, as a young boy growing up, because for my generation, not for Paul and Helen and some of you younger ones, but um, Rocky was, was the thing that was in. Anybody remember Rocky? I'm not talking about the chocolate biscuit, all right? I'm talking about the fighter, Sylvester Stallone. And how, you know, he used to run up those steps. And I remember, this is absolutely genuine. We'd watch this film, me and my cousin, and we noticed that he used to crack raw eggs and eat them because that was meant to build you up. So I remember the following day we were cracking raw eggs and swallowing these eggs down. Absolutely, it was gross. But we just thought we were rocky. We were just ready for the battle. We were ready for victory. It was all about the battle and it was all about the victory. I don't know whether, Chris, have we managed to get it. I want to just show you one of my all-time favorites. So if you just have a look at this on the screens, then that will be great. Thanks, Chris. Not to this music. We missed the kick, but it were there. Thanks, Chris. That was great. I only gave it to Chris a moment ago. Can you remember the film? Did you all watch it? 
Now, I know some of you may say, why is he flipping showing Karate Kid on a Sunday morning? Well, I want to just help you to uh, encourage you, the whole thing of the battle and the victory. And I used to love this particular uh, film that we've just watched. And I heard Andy saying, wax on, wax off, you know. Uh, hop, 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 hop. He did all this Mr. Miyagi. Daniel-san, Daniel-san. Look at eye, look at eye. Brilliant. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I thought Mr. Miyagi was great. And I have to say, I've seen the new one, and that's a load of rubbish. I want to say it's a load of rubbish compared to, um, you know, the, the, the old one. Brilliant. And uh, just the whole thing of the battle and the victory. And we see here a story in Joshua chapter 6 of there is a battle and there is a victory. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't already know this, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. There is a battle going for your heart and for your mind. There is a battle on for your marriage if you're married. There's a battle on for your business if you're a business person. There's a battle on for your children if you have children. There's a battle on for your grandchildren if you have grandchildren. There is a battle on. There is a battle on. Now I believe that the battle is the Lord's because my Bible tells me so. But we better make sure that we are ready to fight. And how do we fight? We do it through praising. Now, what I'm intrigued about the battle here is Joshua knew the victory was already his. But I've been on occasions, as we all have, to, if we've got children, to see my children in races. Uh, it's not actually happened fully yet with Isaac and, and Lilia, but certainly with Annie and with Eleanor, there's been the school races, the sports day races. And uh, particularly with Annie on the sprint and Eleanor on some distance, because it is interesting with two girls only two years apart, one of them's got a real quick sprint to her, which is Annie, but Eleanor's got a real strong engine, which gives a distance. So it's quite interesting already, and don't ask Annie to run forever and ever, because she can do it, but she struggles with it. And don't ask Eleanor to be really, really quick, because that's not her, her thing. But I've been to both of their, their races, and what I have been confident is that they would give of their best. But I haven't been com- confident of the outcome. I didn't know whether they were going to win the race. But I want to tell you, I was like a, an absolute maniac. John seen me uh, on, the, on the side. I want to tell you, the whole of Ilkeston, I'm not exaggerating, would have heard me cry. I was not bothered who heard me or what. I did not give a rip. I, I won't do it here because I was frightened the life out of you. Come on! I was at the, come on! Like this, in particular, the line, come on, come on, come on! And all these parents are like looking as though... Is he possessed or something? I was just confident in their ability to do their best. But I wasn't confident that they were going to finish first. But Joshua had already received instruction around Jericho. He he has already been given instruction that the first city that he was going to fight against was already his. It was already his. You see... God had assured Joshua that the battle was the Lord's. But what he wanted him to do was trust God. Now, let's just look at Jericho for a moment. Because it's alright me saying about, you know, the battle was already his and, and, and God wants us to win. But you may be here this morning saying, but Christian, you don't know the size 
of my problem. You don't know the size of the issue. You don't know what's happening in my business. You don't know what's happening in my marriage. You don't know what's happening in my body. The size of the problem. Now it's interesting when we look at Jericho. Because actually the Canaanites were absolutely, it says in verse 1, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Do you know why they did that? The Canaanites actually believed that Jericho was impenetrable and was invincible. And all they needed to do was just close the gates and no one would be able to get in. Why did they think that? Because history records that at certain uh, portions of the city, the, the, the height of the walls was 25 foot in height, which may say not, may not be a lot, but it's some distance. That means it's, you know, 7.6 meters for those who are metric. And the width of the walls, you may, we're not talking about the, like the walls that, we've, that we're standing in here. They were 20 foot thick, six meters thick. These walls. So you can see why the Canaanites actually believed that there was no way that anybody would be able to get into these city walls. The other interesting fact to note about, because I just did a little bit of digging, that they actually believed that their, the Israelites' God was a God of nature because he parted the, the, the seas. But they did not believe that he was a God of war, so they thought that they were going to be okay. I want to tell you, God isn't just the God of nature, he's a God of war. I want to tell you, this God is greater than any other God that is, is, is in the world today. And we see that the walls were seemingly invincible. The second thing is about the size of the problem was that Jericho actually was very mighty. It had great ability, it had great power. It was a fighting nation. They knew how to fight. They knew combat. They had big fellas in their army. And so you look at the size of the problem there and think, well, how is God going to be able to break into this city? Because God had led them, if you remember the story, he led them through the waters and promised them the land. Promised them, that's why it's called the promised land. So the promised land they were in and the first city that they head to is Jericho. Amazing. I want to say, no matter what the size of the problem is, it is no match for the power and greatness of our God. Can I hear an amen? You may say, well, Christian, I feel like I'm facing Jericho. It's invincible. It's impenetrable. It's got might and ability and strength and power. It's so strong, this problem. I was on the um, phone with somebody during the week around a situation that seemingly is like a Jericho problem. I'm being very uh, just... Uh, not specific because of podcast, but I was on the phone with somebody who begun to weep as they just said to me, and I was aware of the issues, and uh, they said, we just don't know where to turn now. We just have no answers. And I felt at that moment utterly helpless to be able to change this situation because it is absolutely right. I have no power to change this situation. And seemingly, naturally, there is no answer for this situation. But as I stood in a supermarket, and I didn't give a rip who was around, I said, I am going to pray. And whilst I was on the phone, on the mobile phone, I prayed with all my heart. 
and with all my faith. Everything within me, committing this situation to God and saying, God, we cannot change this. This person cannot change this, but you can change this. This is not too big for you. So if you have a problem that's so big, I want you to commit it to God and know that it is no match for the power and greatness of God. Deuteronomy 32 verse 3 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. You see, God is wanting us to understand that he is bigger, he's greater, he is stronger than anyone and anything. But I need to move on because when I look at the the instruction to Joshua, are you still with me this morning? I, I just look at it and I think, well, why so confusing? Why didn't God just say, just walk around the city and, you know, just walk around once and, and then on the seventh day, blast the horn? It just feels like it's a little bit complex because the first six days, they're walking around. He tells them there's going to be a blast of a horn. He tells them to be quiet, to keep the mouth shut. So I know that's a big challenge for some of you, but that was in the scriptures. It just says, say nothing, not even a sound. I don't want any sound at all. Quite interesting. I bet that was quite eerie for the Canaanites. Knowing that there were all these millions of people walking around the city. Quite eerie. No sound. Just hearing the footsteps walking around. But it seems quite complex. Because then he says on the seventh day I want you to go around seven times. And I want the priest to carry out. And he just, you've got to read it for yourself. It's just a little bit. Not confusing, but a bit complex. Why such a complex strategy? That's my next question. I want to say God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. You want to apply ABC to your ABC problem and God will often use X, Y, and Z. Because he's God. Has anybody experienced that? We think to ourselves, well, you know, I've got a need for finances. Let's say, for example, I've got a need for finances. And so if I do ABC, then I'm going to get the result. Now, that might be sometimes, but I have found in my life, I wish God would work differently, actually. But it never comes through ABC. It always comes through X, Y, and Z. Because he will not be restricted and limited by my thoughts or my ways. And you all have problems this morning or difficulties or situations. Please don't apply just your logic and science to those things. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to use our brains. Of course he does. He wants us to use our common sense. Of course he does. He wants us to use the abilities and wisdom that come from. Of course he does. But when we're talking about serious problems of great magnitude, let's not, let's not allow on logic and reason and science. Because this strategy to take down city walls and to overcome a city, I have to be honest, was plain stupidity. Do you want to know why? Because this is what was happening. If you want to beat, if you want to win a war, I'm talking about not just, you know, we're in a battle. I'm talking about a war, combat. You're not going to win it through a ram's horn. And you're not going to win it through a shout. Surely to goodness. And yet this is again what God is Asking us to do. We see victory and praise in operation. And why I believe that God wanted to use this strategy was twofold. Number one, I believe because God wanted the Israelites 
and the Canaanites to know that this was God. See, God will often use things not just to encourage you, but for people looking on in your life. Because they're expecting logic and reason and science to work, work its way through, yes? So people are looking on. So that unsaved husband, that unsaved wife, that you're there, and there's an issue. And God says something to you about that particular uh, situation, and you just think this is stupid. I want to say, if God says it, declare it. Because what's going to happen is, you're going you're gonna to see the deliverance of God, but more than that, they are going to see it. And they're going to think, this is weird. This has got to be God. This has got to be God at work. And I actually believe that that's one of the reasons why God used this strategy. Because he wanted the Israelites and the Canaanites to know that this was God. But secondly, God used this strategy because this was a faith step. And it was not dependent on logic or reason. You know it's in our heart with regards to many things But we have to keep profiling food bank because it is so out there into the community. And logically we would say that what we need, what we need Lisa and what we need those who are involved in that are for a church to arise. And of course we need the church to arise with increased generosity. And thank you for all those who contribute monthly on standing orders or weekly and bring tins of beans and bags. It's brilliant. We wouldn't be able to do it without it. But if we just rely on that, I want to say that isn't how we're relying. We can't rely on just that. And if we say, well, logically, if we want food in the food bank, then what we need to do is we need to work with the supermarkets or we need to work with the Rotary and all those we're working with. But I want to say, actually, what is God saying to this? Because I actually think God's going to do something that isn't within our logic and isn't within our reason, Lisa, and he's going to say, I'm going to just bring it from a completely different area and source, and then you're going to know it's me. Then you're going to know it's me. I'm going to bring some resource that's going to be so great that you're going to know it's me, and it hasn't come through you logically reasoning out where it's going to come from. Are you hearing me this morning? We want to pay off this mortgage. I'm desperate to pay off this mortgage in in the life of the church. Absolutely desperate. You may say, well, I am in my own house. I understand that. So am I. But I'm desperate to pay off the Lord's house. Because I believe that if we can pay off the Lord's house, then we can actually do so much more in terms of church planting and releasing ministries. That, you know, three, four thousand pounds a month, a month, that goes on paying for that mortgage, we could release so much ministry into the community and into the, into the world. It would just be amazing. So logically, I look at this and think, well, we need to cut back. We need to increase tithes and offerings. We need to do all of those things. Cut back, raise tithes and offerings, help people to understand why finance is so important. But if I'm just relying on logic and reason, then I'm actually missing what God wants to do. Because God wants to come from somewhere else. So we know that it's surely God who's at work, and not I'm at work. Does that make sense? So this is what God is leading us into. He's leading, leading us into a faith step that doesn't depend on logic or reason. So this complex strategy was, well, a number of things. First of all, the priests were to lead them out. 
you're taking notes, just put the priests to lead them out with the ark, which was the presence of God. Why do I say that? Because I think it's very, very important to understand that the priests were called to lead from the front. I'm not for one moment declaring the priest like me being the priest. I'm actually flagging it up because I want to show you something that some of you know and some of you don't know. I'd love for you to, for you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation, please, and chapter 1, please. And we're just going to read one verse, or probably two verses, because the ver- verse 5 is worth reading. So Revelation 1, verse 5, and it says this, And from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Listen, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Do you get that line? You see, God has called you, has anointed you to be a priest. It's not about me being the priest. Well, you're the priest. You know, you're the pastor. I understand there's a function of which we give and there's a calling upon some of our lives for that. But we are all called to be priests. We're all called to be priests. And what were the priests doing? They were carrying the presence of God. They were carrying the presence of So wherever you go, I'm encouraging you that you are a priest in God. And for you to carry the presence of God. And what did the priests do? Well, they were the ones who were praising from the front. They were the ones who were leading from the front. It wasn't the men of combat that that God was looking for at this particular point. It was people of praise. It was people of surrender. The priests were consecrated and surrendered. God is not looking for people who, who, who were the strongest. God is not looking for the people who were the wisest. God is not looking for the people who were the most attractive. God is looking for people who were surrendered. God is looking for people who will be surrendered. Surrendered to his purposes. And they're the kind of people that he will use from the front. So there was, the strategy was the priests were going to lead them out. We've already discussed how many times they would need to go around. And this is my second thing that God was asking them to do. And this is what we're going to finish up with just for the last few minutes. Because you may be wondering, I thought we were talking about raise the praise. Well, we are. Because the second thing that God said to Joshua for the people to do was the priests that lead them out. And when the trumpet blast was heard, the people responded with a shout of praise, with a shout of victory, with a shout of celebration, with a shout of rejoicing and joy, because what God was about to do. All the people responded. All the people obeyed the voice of Joshua. And we see, read on in the story in Joshua chapter 6. How that's exactly what happened. Let's just flick back to it shall we. And just pick up the story in the last few, um, uh, the, the last, uh, few verses in verse 20. 
When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, what happened? Verse 20, the wall collapsed. The wall collapsed. Victory and praise. As the people responded to God. And I used to love this story, Joan, at Sunday school. I can't remember the song that we used to sing. Round the walls. What? How did it go? Round the, yeah, I remember it now. And we used to march around. We used to march around chairs. If we did, honestly. I know you might seem that's, and some of you have never been to Sunday school. But we used to march around these chairs like we were, you know, you know Joshua and walking around. Yeah, I used to love that song as a kid. And, but that's exactly what happened. As they marched and as the trumpet blast sounded and as they raised a shout of praise to God, the walls came down. The Hebrew word here is teruah, teruah, which means shout, a shout of praise to God. You've been watching the news, and I hope you do. And this isn't political by any, any means, but I have been intrigued by what's been happening in Egypt. Whether you're in agreement or not, I know there are issues now with regards to Israel. They're a close ally and all that. I'm not about to get in all of that stuff. But all I do want to say is it was intriguing to see those young people, the uprising in that nation of hundreds of thousands. When the news came on that the president had stepped down and was fleeing, what happened? There was a shout of praise. There was a shout that resounded up to the heavens. It's interesting that whilst all this commotion was going on and there was to and fro that the president was not going to step down, what did the people begin to do? I know it spilled out in violence and I don't condone violence, but there was people who just continued to shout in the square. They were determined that they would not step back. And they were determined to see a breakthrough even in that nation. And we see here a shout. Of praise. We're not talking about the downfall of a dictator leader. We're talking about God at work. I want to just give you three passages of scripture. Look at them in your own time if you do this. 1 Samuel 4 verse 5 and 6. It talks about a shout of God. And he actually makes this statement. I believe in verse 6. That the shout was heard in the whole earth. I think it was figuratively speaking. But it was a loud shout. 2 Samuel 6 verse 15. And verse 14 talks about how David brought the ark into, into Jerusalem again. And he danced before the Lord and he just wore a linen ephod. And he, actually his wife was so utterly disgraced by him. She just saw him leaping and dancing. But it talks about in verse 15 that they brought the ark back into Jerusalem with shouts and trumpet blasts. It's the same word. Teruah. Teruah. There was a shout of praise. Ezra 3. And verse 11 through to 13, we see that there was the rebuilding, the laying of the foundations again. The Zerubbabel was, was, was laying again. It wasn't as glorious as Solomon's temple. We understand that. But there was a laying of the foundations. And once the foundations had been praised, this is what happened. With praise, in verse 11 of Ezra 3, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. And all the people gave a great shout of praise. To God. And verse 13 of Ezra 3, it says, The shout was heard 
afar off, Teruah. There was a shout of praise that began to arise in people's hearts when they just called on God and they knew that God was amongst them and God was helping them. This is the story. As they began to shout, the walls that were 25 foot high, that were 20 foot deep, collapsed to the ground. People have argued, how could this be? Well, it's the same way in how can you tear a curtain that's this sort of size. It talks about the curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. It was torn from top to bottom. Sorry, so from bottom, yeah, bottom to top. It was torn. How is that possible? It's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. God collapsed the walls at Jericho. It was a cry, a shout. It was a cry of battle. It was a shout of praise. It was a shout of religious zeal. This is the kind of praise that we're encouraging each and every one of us to enter into. And it's a praise that is not dependent on victory and not dependent upon coming first. It's just dependent upon God. We're saying, God, we so need you in our lives. We so need you in our services. We we so need you in our building. We so need you in our day-to-day living. There's a shout of praise that resounds to God. That is what I'm encouraging us this morning. And as we begin to shout unto God, as we begin to press through, Breakthrough in praise, walls will begin to collapse and come down. Let me finish by saying this. Let the praise, the victory of our God, that we see in Psalm 149, verse 6 through to 9. This is what it says, that knowing our praise, knowing the praise that is in our mouth, will be like a double-edged sword that's in our hands. This praise will inflict vengeance on nations and peoples. It will bind and shackle kings, nobles and strong forces. I started by saying there are forces at work that are in the invisible realm that we cannot see. One man described it almost like, I think C.S. Lewis he was the writer of the, I always get them mixed up with Tozer. He was the writer of uh, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, wasn't he? And, and, and I think it was, came out, one man described the invisible realm like a wardrobe door that you step into and out of. And we see it in Genesis where Jacob saw angels ascending and descending. I don't want to freak you out, but there are things happening around. Call, in the Bible it calls the myriads of angels, which is literally hundreds of thousands of angels that are at work. I believe that stuff. You may say, you, do you believe in fairies and the Easter bunny? No, I don't believe in fairies and the Easter bunny, but I do believe in the Bible. And it tells me that there are myriads of angels at work. And there's a coming and going in the invisible realm. I actually believe there's stuff in the invisible realm that would completely freak us out if we saw it. It calls them principalities and powers at work. Now, you may say, well, what has that got to do with me? I should believe our praise, our praise, the declaration of our praise begins to change things in the atmosphere. Things begin to happen. Things begin to change. Breakthroughs begin to happen. Strongholds begin to be bound in Jesus' name. 
Not because we command it, but because we praise God. The hallelujah of God. Halal. Praise Yah. God. Yahweh. Praise God. As we begin to allow the praise of God to resound from our church and from our lips, things begin to happen. Victory and praise. I wonder what you're believing God for. When Julie encouraged us to pray, I don't know whether my hands were the first lifted. When she said, if you have a need, lift your hands. But I want to tell you, my hands were before the Lord because there are things that are around my life that I need God to help me with. I need God to break through with power and authority. That is why my hands were raised before the Lord today in absolute humility and surrender Knowing that actually, God, I can't do anything. This is all you now. Please work through me. I'm not abdicating that I'm not, I'm just going to lie in bed and let you do it. Or go on a beach holiday somewhere now. Whatever, God, you need to do, show me. But I so need your help. I wonder if that is you this morning. I wonder if you're saying, God, I need breakthroughs in my life. I need, I need you to work. And, and I wasn't there for physical healing. I was just needing God to break through here. And breakthrough in, in other areas that I'm involved in. God, I need you. I wonder if that's you this morning, just as we close. If we stand to our feet and I want us to pray. I want us to praise. I want us just for a moment to just lift our heart before God and say, God, we so need you. We want the teruah of God, the shout of God. We want that faith step to be taken. We don't want to be limited by logic and reason. I, I really believe that some of you... Because you're like me. You just logically work things out. You reason things out. You science things out. Because of how you've been built and how you experience. I don't want, think God, God wants us to work like that. I believe God wants us to live in faith. I pray that seeds of faith will just be imparted to every person in Jesus' name. So Lord, we lift up our hands. We lift up our voices. We lift up praise to you. The true hour of God. The shout of God. And Father, we thank you today. We thank you today for the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, for every person that is stood to the feet, that is needing you for a breakthrough. It may be that the, 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 the mountain is insurmountable. It may be that the walls are impenetrable. It may be that they're dealing with such hard hearts. I pray, God, that you will just break through as we begin to praise, as we begin to put our trust in you, as we begin to put our faith in the living God, that we will declare the greatness and the power and the majesty of our God. And Lord, we're believing God for you to break through with power and authority. We're believing for strongholds to be broken and bound in Jesus' name over people's minds and hearts. Strongholds to be broken in Jesus' name. We believe in, Lord, for the miraculous to break out amongst us and in our midst. We believe in, Lord, in this financial climate. Lord, for great prosperity to resound and flow from all of our lives as we put our trust in the living God. I pray, Lord, that every wall that is against us will collapse as we begin to praise God together. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you release us now with your blessing. 
And you'd release us now with a fresh injection of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would know the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. That we would receive power from on high. Dunamis from on high. To live out our lives tomorrow and the day after. And the day after. And we ask this, Father, all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen and Amen. God bless you guys. I really, really believe.